All right, guys, today we have a very special guest on the podcast. But before that, I have to talk about something very urgent. Um, I think I've said this on the podcast before, but I I have I have hearing issues. OK, and I've always thought that these hearing issues were just hereditary. Maybe I have smaller ear canal canals. I don't know. But um, I had to go to urgent care uh, for the first time about like two years ago. And they told me that I needed my ears irrigated. Newhouse, you ever had to get your ears irrigated? Is that the thing where they take everything out of it? Correct. They have to. They have to get. Right. They have to. They have to stick the thing into your ear. They have to squeeze water into it. Have you ever had had to get that done? Yeah, that's my life. Um, oh man, listen. <laughs> she keeps calling me weird for. Listen, I've had to do it three times. I'm about to do it for the third time in three years. Maybe that's a little bit odd, but she thinks that this task is crazy. I keep telling her it's normal. No, like when you first started, you were like 21 years old. There's no reason for a 21 year old to listen, get their I just, ears flushed. I listen like, to... Imagine how much like mucus you have to have <laughs> yeah, built up in mucus there in my ears. For to be that's flushed. the right word. It's earwax. Okay, it's not mucus. <laughs> um, but uh. But yeah, it happened for the first time like two years ago, and then maybe like a year later, um, had to happen again. Ears got you know full of fun again, <laughs> and um, and and I hate to break it to you guys, but my my ears are in pain again. Um, so you know what that means. I've had an appointment today at three o'clock. Um, uh, pray for me, wish me luck. Um, hopefully everything is okay. I was telling him, I was like, you know, people usually like our age, like, you know, 24, they have like brunch appointments <laughs> at three. They have like, you know, a nice, like, I don't know, having fun with a hangout right. with their friends, yeah. but he has a full earwax Listen, irrigation appointment with, at urgent with, care. With great power comes great responsibility. Okay. He has a Spider-Man <laughs> in his background. He knows what I'm talking about. No, but like, look, I'm very pro ear irrigation. I didn't even know that's the word for it. That's a really good term because I thought it was just earwax removal, which sounds terrible. No, but listen, I had to, I had oh to get it done God. last year, and yeah. So I think it's so the first time I had to get it done, I think I was like 25, and I there, I felt a lot of shame, just like you. I was there, like, what is something wrong with me? Am I filthy? Why do I have all this like earwax? Like, who yeah. am I as a as a person? Yeah. But apparently, yeah. it's something to do with some people have the shape of their ear is screwed up a little bit right where it's kind exactly. of like a cave it's like a cavern and it collects exactly. more than like other people you're, so you're speaking to my so, soul right yeah. now like like you're really like you guys found community <laughs> like my unheard voice right now yeah, there's, there's probably like a whole a whole community of these people i gotta reach out to them but <laughs> but yeah that's where i'm at right now thank you for understanding at least i have one person that's in support of me um in less important news um Mohu and I have <laughs> Mohu and I have have announced our New York City showcase. Um, we're doing it alongside two other amazing artists in New York City in Midtown. It's at a venue named Semicolon. You can find details on my Instagram, Mo's Instagram. If you're in New York City, if you're anywhere in America, if you're anywhere in the world, take a flight to New York. I don't care if you're in Vietnam, <laughs> take a if flight. you're in Moscow, Sydney, Australia, come out. Low flight, come see us. You leave the next day. It's all good. Yeah, I don't want to hear anything from anyone saying that there's no events for people in New York City. We're, We're here. here. I'm here. We're doing it. And and you know how when you always go to like the Met, you go to these museums, for you what? see all these French and Renaissance European you painters. That for? How about some nice little cute little Bangladeshi right. painters, you know? Exactly. We got our poetry, we got our Bangladeshi paintings. Go. Like what else I do you I might do some spoken word you know? poetry. I might I'll see. Oh. Maybe if it happens. If it doesn't happen, you missed out. Anyways, yeah. Thank you guys for coming back, joining us on our beautiful podcast, Difficult Dish, hosted by myself, Mashtun. I am Mahua. And today we have probably probably the craziest guest we'll ever have. Um, yeah. I I have a lot to say to you. I have a lot to say of you on behalf of my mother. My mother is my mother is next door. <laughs> That's <famous>. a lot. <laughs> <laughs> she has her ear to the door. <laughs> um, but I, um, I would love for you to introduce yourself. Um, tell us more about yourself. Our guest today is Nuhash. Um, Nuhash, you want to say hi? Hey, everyone. I'm Nuhash. I am a filmmaker from Bangladesh. I've lived in Bangladesh my entire life. I love to combine sort of genres that everyone loves with South Asian identity. Um, that's something I really enjoy to do with my films. I recently made a short film called Moshari. Uh, which means mosquito net. And yeah, uh, we played at South by Southwest. We won a bunch of awards. And something cool that happened was 
Um, Oscar winners Jordan Peele and Riz Ahmed actually kind of came on board the short film as executive producers. So that's been awesome. It's kind of changed my life a little bit. And yeah, you know, I kind of make these weird Bangladeshi horror movies or genre movies or whatever. And that's kind of my thing now, apparently. You are way too humble because you did not just win like a few awards. Like yeah, you won literally like what, like Jordan 10 Pio. international awards. Yeah, like all the state awards, like LA, like you were next to what, all well, like Taylor Swift's video. Like you were so <laughs> humble about it. You're like, yeah, I just did something casually. As, when really, is, he like. This is why I love it when other people introduce me because then you know you get to have a lot of other stuff mm. instead there. Yeah. When you're talking about yeah. yourself, no, it's it's such a nice boost of <laughs> yeah. ego. I literally like I was on Twitter the other day and I saw um what was it like the Hollywood Critic yeah. Association and I saw your like Moshari and I saw um like Taylor Swift's video and I was like this. <laughs> And Taylor Swift, I was yeah. like, I was blown away. And that's like amazing because like imagine like a Bangladeshi film next to like Taylor Swift's video, you know, like something that we know. And it's just crazy because it's like two worlds colliding together. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's been incredible um, to be nominated for the, yeah, it was the Hollywood Critics thing. My mom saw that. She saw it was me mm-hmm. nominated and it was Taylor Swift. And she's like, uh, Nwash, I love you, and it's great that you're nominated. <laughs> Swift, she's buzzing, you know. So, I don't know, because because she's a huge Swifty. I'm the one who has to like music on her on her phone, so I know. Too right. Are there are there big to, to, uh, Taylor Swift fans in in Bangladesh? Is she big over there? Yeah, I think so. I think she's big. Like, I don't really? think there's any like like ever in any year, uh, wax <laughs> yeah. where she hasn't been heard. Right. <laughs> there we go. I love how your mom's just like humbling you. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. She's like, "Yeah, no, you're good, but like, yeah. you know." But um, before we <laughs> before we move forward, um, I I wanted to talk a little bit about um my mom's reaction when I told her that we were having you yeah. on the pod. Um, my mom too. I told my mom, and she instantly like pointed at like one of the bookshelves in my house, and she was like. <laughs> no like nothing she, was she, like, just, she just pointed she's she like you know we have like dozens of books about his family in our house and i was like what and then she like started dusting off all these books and i have some that i want to show you these were just sitting in my house i'm not sure if any of these look familiar uh, to you my dad yeah that's wonderful yeah yeah i i unfortunately yeah. can't read bangla um so i'm not too sure what the titles are i think this black one is called uh humi or humi um Himu. Himu, yes Himu. i'm so sorry um and we had a bunch of books and my mom was like yo your dad was the biggest fan of his dad and my dad like studied everything about you and my mom was just like in awe at the fact she was like she was like how and i was like social media she's like no but how i was like social media <laughs> She's like, no, you don't understand. Like, how? And and right now, she's probably right outside my door. But um, me and Mo had uh, watched uh, Moshri maybe a, a few days prior. And, you know, of course, I want to talk about that. But I think the following day after I told my mom, I watched Moshri with her. And like halfway out, halfway in, she like didn't want to watch anymore. She was scared. Um, <laughs> and I was like sitting right next to her, it was like broad daylight. I was like, Mom, like the TV's like like thirty feet away, like we'll be fine. Um I I think in moments like that is when I realize like how much like power and influence somebody like you could have, like not only on like our generation, but the generation above us. Like what me and Mo do mm-hmm. is rarely gonna reach like that generation, but it's it was really amazing like being in there like present moment seeing how my mom was reacting um and i i can't imagine like what type of reaction you get out of anybody who is who is in bangladesh you know it was it was just it was really funny and then she was like she's like yeah, all these books look at your books <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no literally i i told i told my mom too and she was like fangirling as well just because she was like do you know who he is <laughs> like she was like yelling at me do you know who he is who his family is and like my family they they're just like a very big house full of like poets and artists and it's so weird because it's like you know i grew up in a very like bangladeshi like cultured like household but i honestly like i feel upset for the generation that like don't know like how big of a deal this is because there are people that like 
they just like aren't in tune because they just never learned so they never you know learned about like the classics and like the actual writers and film directors and everything in their household but i'm very lucky because like i told my mom that and my mom was so excited she pulled out the books as well and it's just like such an honor because it's like I don't know, like the older generation bridging the gap with like the younger generation. So I'm glad that you also like had all of those talents like pa- like passed down to you and you learned about it because it's just like, you know, we have you in our generation and then obviously our parents also resonated with like your father and everything. Yeah. So it's amazing. Wow, that is so beautiful to hear. Thank you so much for sharing those stories. Um, That's really powerful to, to just to hear that those books literally travel, right? Like you're sitting there showing it mm-hmm. to me. I'm here in Bangladesh. You're there in New York. And it's wonderful. Yeah. yeah like I come from a, a family that's like, you know, super big on culture. My mother, she's a poet. My father, he was a writer and he was a filmmaker as well. And, you know, just uh, seeing the impact that they had on the world, on anyone who speaks uh, Bengali, it's been so amazing. And I think um, for me, what was really important was just growing up in Bangladesh, there was just so much of I just saw his influence everywhere and I was so privileged and blessed and lucky to sort of grow up with storytelling around me, right? Like I grew up with these books around me. I grew up on like sort of, I would be on these like old sort of movie sets um, that my dad was on. I see them and I kind of, um, I kind of fell in love with storytelling before, you know, I even read a book or even watched a movie. I kind of knew that world a little bit, but you know, what was really important to me was to sort of, like yeah our parents got all those books and got all those literature but do we know about all that we kind of don't right like there's other generations and sort of the whole world that needs to know how rich our culture is and sort of how much depth there is and how much wonderful storytelling there is so kind of that's what i feel like is our responsibility so it's kind of so poetic that i'm here talking to you guys and we're all kind of trying to do something new and relevant and different with our identities for a newer generation. I think that's really powerful and kind of poetic. You know, something me and Mo talk a lot about personally is like, we both know how rich the country of Bangladesh is for like the arts and for filmmaking and for writing and poetry. Like Mo's mother is is a poet and she is in like in an acting um, group. And my father was a poet and is like a painting collector and loves all that stuff. But it's really interesting how like, you know, as 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 high of a pedestal that type of stuff is put on, it's still so fearful for a lot of those parents to give their kids the courage to follow paths like that and a lot of a lot of kids who look like us have to kind of you know practice their hobbies on the side do them undercover hope something works out hope they or like discover how to have that conversation with their parents about wanting to pursue something a little bit more artistic um but i would love to hear just some more input from your end on like what it was like growing up in bangladesh being so rich in just culture and and the arts but there are still so many people who are like scared to really pursue anything like that and go the next step go take a trip to america and and meet people in media for example um you know a lot of those people are still scared but that type of stuff is still so celebrated over there right yeah you know it's really it's really i would say it's really complicated in a sense because you know, sometimes I'm um, at a coffee shop or something and someone's going to come up to me and they recognize me or my work or something um, here, in, here in Dhaka and they'll be like, hey, uh, could you give me some advice? Because I work at work at a startup and I love filmmaking. Should I quit my job and become a filmmaker full time? And what I usually say actually is no, I don't I don't think so. I can speak only for filmmaking. And I think it's the one craft that's very capitalistic because um, you can write a poem or you can do a painting. It's not going to cost that much, right? To just to just write something, you just need a pen and a paper. But to make a film, to make a, even a short film, you need an investment of some sort. You need some kind of capital to do it. And film has always been kind of tied to capitalism in this weird way, just from the history of cinema. So yeah, I think it's a little complicated, but um, I think it's really... I think sometimes it does start off as a side hustle or a side thing. And I think that's completely fine. Like for the longest time I was working in advertising in Bangladesh. And at first, you know, when I was younger, I used to look down on advertising because I was like, Oh, I'm a filmmaker. I'm an artiste. I don't want to make like sort of soap commercials. That's not my thing, but you know, it was good money. I was getting paid for it. And I was kind of 
directing those commercials gave me sort of a um, kind of the skill set of a director because I always felt like I was a good writer. That's something, you know, even even in high school, I felt like I had an act for writing. But directing commercials both gave me some money and also was kind of building my skill set as a director, as a visual storyteller. And I think it took me a very long time to kind of make that switch and go like, wait, I don't think I need that advertising job anymore because the short films I'm making on the side, the kind of the other things I'm doing on the side, which is like kind of pure filmmaking, those are paying off. And I think like, you know, I've been kind of trying to make short films from when I was 13 or 14 years old. I'm 30 now. And I think right now I'm making that decision. Wait, I think I can take a break from sort of advertising and go full time into film because I am getting sort of paid for that. So it is a journey. And sometimes it's about actually having that balance and not going, hey, maybe some people can do that. Like, oh, I'm going to quit everything and I'm going to start something new. But for some people, it's a much slower journey where for a long time they have to kind of do that balancing act where they have a day job, they have this other thing. And only later can they go, hey, you know, this is what I this is what I love to do. But I think what's most important is kind of trying to build a support system, if that makes sense. Like sometimes you have supporting supportive parents, right? Who are like, oh, hey, go try this thing. Um, we love what you're doing. Sometimes you don't. And it's okay if you don't, because our parents, they're burdened with a lot of sort of generational trauma. We, we can't expect them to understand all our stuff and all our creative endeavors. So sometimes maybe you have to find that friend, find someone online, kind of like how Mo and I connected, which is like we just talked on Instagram and, you know, we had a shared respect for our work. And you have to find communities that kind of get you because a big part of doing anything creative is there will be days where you feel really, really vulnerable and you feel like you don't know what the hell you're doing. So just like go out there, find a community, even if you can't find it in your family, if that makes sense. I love that because I think now there's like this feeling of like instant gratification. A lot of people in this generation, they expect like success to come very easily. And I think that's because of like social media and like TikTok. We just think that we don't have to work as hard because, you know, we're going to be successful anyway. But I think the reality of it, especially for like Bangladeshi and like South Asian kids, is that you do have to have a job that provides the money for you to fund like the hobbies that you want to do. You know, unfortunately, we can't just like go into the arts right away if we don't have like money to support whatever else that we're doing and like living you know so like for both Mashun and I like you know he has his full-time job and like I had to get my degree in education and I had to get I had like multiple jobs to fund like my art and like my business so I think it's it's very true like what you said you can't just like quit your nine to five and just pursue a passion that also like you have to invest a lot of money in and it's like you have to do years of hard work and you have to like I don't even know. You have to do years of hard work and just work your ass off to like do your nine to five and then your five to nine and then, you know, not sleep. So it's unfortunate um, and you don't get successful right away. You don't get the benefits right away, but it's worth it, I think, because you start, you know, you hone, you hone your skills and you are finally able to hopefully, you know, quit your job and pursue that full time. I'd actually want you to speak about your whole film journey with Moshari and like all of the other films that you directed as well. Um, just because I've never seen a, a horror film like that. Like I, in Bangladeshi culture, I've never seen anything. I think the one movie that I saw when I was little and it was scary um, was like where he like cut his finger off. And that was like all <laughs> I saw that was scary. I, I definitely want to hear more about your upbringing. But first, I think we have yeah. like we have to talk about Moshari. I think Moshari was so beautiful, not because of you know, apart from the film, I think the impact that that movie had on American culture and truthfully, I was unaware of your name until Mushri had came. And then once the movie Mushri had came, then I realized how beautiful and lengthy like this man's this man's journey has been. And um, I'm sure this that was the same account for so many south asian kids so many muslims so many brown-skinned people in in the whole country and i'm sure that you've seen what what type of impact that that film has had on on all of us that's how, how like i remember like me me and mo me and mo had watched it together um one night and after it finished i was like i i really had a big revelation of like wow like there's so much going on 
like for people that look like us that I'm just so unaware of. Like here living in America, I, we're like we're familiar with like different types of artists that are in our community that are big on TV, have specials, blah, blah. blah. But it's like it really opened up my eyes. And I'm sure that this is like such a blanket, vague statement. But I was like, man, like there why am I not more invested in what is going on in, in Bangladesh when there are things like this that are being made that is one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen, you know? So I I wanted to hear more about um, your journey with Moshri, how that came about, why you chose to make it that scary to where my mom didn't even want to watch it anymore. Um, <laughs> and and just like your story with, with that film. Uh, thank you so much for the saying that, man. Um, yeah, you know, um, it's funny because Moshari was kind of like a B project of mine. I was working on a feature film, like a full-length movie, and I was working on some other stuff. On the side, I kind of, again, I got sick of making commercials, and I thought, I have a little bit of savings. I had a co-producer who wanted to invest something um, in something interesting as well. I thought, why not try horror? It's so, like, it's just something that hasn't been done before in Bangladesh, right? Like no one's really tapped into that horror space. And it's so funny because we actually, as Bangladeshis, we have a rich history of horror, right? Like a lot of those books on your shelf, a lot of them are supernatural. A lot of them have horror elements to it. And we also have like a lot of horror folklore. Like a lot of the stories I've heard from my grandparents have been like, you know, Bhutir Gopo, like just ghost stories that you tell to your cousins under a moshari on a, on a winter night. So that's a very big uh, ritual here in Bangladesh. I don't know how much of uh, that you're familiar with. Um, but yeah, that's a that's a whole thing. So I always felt like horror, it's kind of in our blood. But for some reason, it hasn't been translated to cinema because we've always been scared. Like, OK, is it going to be corny? Is it going to be stupid to try to make Bangladeshi horror? Because look, you know. It's also about resources. Like, how do you kind of, you know, uh, how do you do the scares? How do you do the VFX? There are a lot of sort of layers to horror where, you know, if it's a if it's a drama short film, it's like two people falling in love. You could shoot it in your apartment and like whatever. It's like you don't need to think about the camera or the sort of the sort of the colors or the sound as much, maybe. But with horror, there's so many kind of layers to it. So I think everyone's been a little afraid to touch it. Um, and the idea was just like, just started from that. And um, it's kind of this post-apocalyptic story of Moshari. And I don't know, I always thought that like, you know, you always see like, oh, it's in the Avengers, it's like New York and aliens are invading New York or <clears throat> it's London, right? And something big is happening there. Like so the world is ending. But what if you had a, a big larger than life story like that, but centered around Bangladesh where the only survivors are in Bangladesh and kind of like reversing the power dynamic in a way. Um, so I really liked that idea and that's something that stuck in my head. And that's kind of the world of Moshari where, um, yeah, everyone survives inside these mosquito nets, which is really big in Bangladesh and you don't have them in the West. So everyone in the West is dead and it's just Bangladesh surviving. And that's just it's like crazy. established in the first couple of minutes of the movie. And I just thought, hey, maybe there's something there. Um, yeah. Uh, but, you know, it was so funny because while we were making it, because no one has done horror here before, filming it was a horror movie because my crew, my set, like everyone there, they were like, what the hell are you doing? What is, is this going to work? Because <laughs> I had, Didn't you also do it during COVID? Yeah, I did it like right before oh, COVID, but during COVID. And it was so scary because like, um, so here's the thing. I've done a lot of comedy before. I've directed drama and comedy. And when you're directing like a sad scene, so let's say, right? And someone's crying, right? Let's say you're the actor, you're crying and I'm holding the camera. In that moment, everyone feels sad. And even on set, like there's a kind of sadness there. Like, okay, this moment is working. There's an energy there. Same thing if you're doing comedy. It's like, oh, it's a funny scene. And everyone's kind of laughing. The cameraman's laughing. Everyone's laughing. Like, okay, this is going to work. This is totally going to work. But what I realized doing Moshari was when you're shooting horror, it's not scary on set because there's actually like a lot of lights because you need to shoot it in a lot of highlights. Um, and then later in post-production and editing, you got to make it darker. But when you're shooting, you want a lot of lights there so that there's the, the color information is there so you can reduce it later. So it's a lot of bright lights. There's like someone dude dressed up like a monster and it's not scary because there's no music, right? And 90% yeah. of horror yeah. is the music. So you're you're on set and everyone's looking at me like, this guy's a madman and this is never going to work. <laughs> and crazy. 
so many people told me, don't even bother sending this to film festivals. I don't think anyone's going to want to see it. So, so yeah, that's mm -hmm. been such a crazy journey, like thinking about those days and thinking about just um, how well the film kind of did. And it kind of weirdly blew up in the first week. Like we premiered at South by Southwest within one week. I had an email from someone from Lucasfilm, someone from like the people who make Star Wars. And they're like, hey, we watched your short film. It was good. And I'm like, whoa, what is, <laughs> what is happening? How is How are people seeing this? You people made Star Wars. Online. And I'm like, yeah. whoa, somehow something about combining Bangladesh plus horror was really connecting with people. Because mm. people were like, usually, you know, when I go to a film festival, people are like, um, a Bangladeshi movie? I have no idea what that is. But then when I was like, I have a Bangladeshi horror movie, people were like, I want to, I kind of want to check that out. I've never seen that in my life. When is that mm -hmm. screening? Do you have a link to that? So something about combining these two things that have never kind of connected before and doing that in a way that felt authentic. I don't know. I felt something mm -hmm. about that really worked a little bit. I, I, I think I saw it in the Daily Star or article or something where you said um, exactly that, where every producer um, said for you to not send it to the festivals. So do you think that, they didn't want you to send it because like they've never seen something like that before and like they just didn't think it would be successful or is it just because like why do you think these directors told you not to send something like that is it just because it's like the unknown and you know they just didn't expect that to blow up yeah i think there's just like a you know horror even even on like the grand scale of things it's not it's not kind of a you know, horror doesn't win a lot of awards, right? Like horror is kind of like down. It's, it's not a high art. It's a low art, right? Like that's why people say elevated horror, like elevated genre, like, oh, that's the good kind of horror. And then there's like the lame kind of horror. Like people really like to be a little snooty about horror. Um, and I think, you know, you have a little, you have that all over the world a little bit, but especially here, because we don't do it often, I think these producers, they meant well, but they were just like, we don't know um if like this is going to do well so we, you might be wasting your time and i think a lot of the sort of what you what usually happens in, in Bangladeshi cinema is we do really well in the european film circuit i don't know how much you guys are familiar with that but it's like there's Khan, there's venice there's the berlin film festival so in the european circuit you get a lot of these art house south asian films from Bangladesh, india pakistan and those films do really well they're a little more sad or they're kind of about pain or suffering and they're a little more sort of slower in art house films and that's kind of where um Bangladeshi cinema has thrived really well but I think what's been really new I don't think there's ever been another Bangladeshi fiction film at South by Southwest for instance right so entering this genre space where it's like horror thriller combining that with our kind of aesthetics that is very new for us Bangladeshi so I think even these producers they didn't know that a horror film from Bangladesh could do well at film festivals. They weren't even aware that those festivals existed. In fact, a lot of these really awesome festivals I've been to, when I was filling up the forms, uh, they didn't have uh, Bengali in the drop-down list. And I had to I had to write to them and be like, hey guys, I know you don't, I don't like you didn't mean for this to happen, but you know, could you put our language in there? Because we're like the fifth largest spoken language in the world. And they apologized immediately and, and they fixed it. But that only goes to show that people aren't doing this enough. People aren't sort of uh, being more playful with the kind of tones and the styles that they're, they, of the kind of cinema we're making from Bangladesh, or in fact, even the, you know, even the diaspora, um, I think. So yeah, that's been a fun kind of experiment that paid off. And I hope that it gives more filmmakers who are, who aren't white, you know, the courage to try different things. Because I think it's also like, I don't know. I think the world's really changed after the pandemic, if that makes sense. People were all stuck at home watching Netflix and people were like, okay, we're tired of watching the same stuff. They were watching Squid Game and Money Heist and all these things that had people of color that had subtitles and they were like, hey, this stuff is pretty cool. So I think, yeah. you know, the world is a lot more open to sort of content that's more out there. Sometimes I'll just be like sitting or walking around my city and I'll just be upset at like me me being in like the art community in Orlando I had just met like a few weeks ago the very first Bangladeshi person who's like in the art community in my city like the very first one and before that I had just always complained about like man moving up in life would be so much easier if I just had somebody else that like had paved the way or somebody else that was doing this with me or somebody else that was like supporting me that looked like me and I say that to say, like, 
I'm fascinated with how like you managed to be the person to reach out to these people and tell them to add Bangla to to the list or you being the first person to make a Bengali horror film. Um, What do you think it is about you that made you willing to be the first and not like, you know, be upset that things haven't been done before? Because I think that's where a lot of people get stuck. They'll, they're wanting to enter certain territory, but they have no idea how to because none of it has even d- been done before. Do you feel like you've just always kind of been the one to try to do something unorthodox? I don't know, man. That's a really good question. And I think a lot of it is stubbornness, but it also, I think the stubbornness comes from overcompensating a little bit, you know, because like when I was a kid, the movies I grew up on, like I love uh, Spielberg movies. And I was watching this Spielberg movie called Munich where somebody uh, comes into a room and there's a lot of food on the table. And it's like, oh, there's enough food on this table to feed Bangladesh. And that was always so weird to hear because I'm like, oh my God, Spielberg, I love you. But it's so weird to hear the name of your country in that context. And I recently I was watching like Glass Onion um, by Ryan Johnson. There was a similar, like they mentioned Bangladesh, Bangladesh, just to set up this joke about sweatshops. And, you know, always seeing uh, your country's name used as this punchline in cinema that you love, it's so contradictory because it's like, you know, it messes with your self-esteem a little bit, right? Like my entire life, I felt like, am I like less because of where I'm from? Will I ever be able to make it? So I think those feelings, they don't go away. Even today, I, you know, you have that model minority thing where I, I always feel like I have to work extra hard. You know, I remember after we went to South by, um, I was writing to certain um, like review pages going like, hey, you reviewed all these other South by Southwest short films. Uh, but you didn't review us. We actually won the award. But how come you only reviewed the films that have the white people in it? And they were like, okay, fine, we'll review your thing. So I kind of really went out there because I wanted to sort of fight my own insecurities a little bit. And also just, um, I think that my entire life, I thought it's a disadvantage where I'm from and what I look like. But then you grow up and you realize, what if you weaponized that identity? And what if you made that? What if you were kind of forthcoming about that? So I think a lot of that rage or insecurity shows in Moshari. Like, I think there is a kind of rage and anger and darkness in the story. And I was kind of open about it. I'm like, here, here's how I feel about sort of how the world's viewed us um, throughout history. And it's out there. And something about that maybe worked a little bit. But I will say that it is... um, it is a lot harder for us um, and to even like the mental leap, right? Of like, oh, do I apply to this festival? Do I apply to this thing? Am I good enough? And you're sitting in front of your keyboard, you're thinking, wow, should I even do it? So there is like, there is that gap. And I remember it was especially hard after we were getting all that attention on the short film because um, there were agents and managers trying to reach out to me and I didn't know how to navigate that space. And I tried to reach out to other filmmakers from Bangladesh and I realized that um, no one else from here has ever done this before. And that was a really scary, lonely moment. You know, your stomach turns a little bit like, oh my God, how do I, how do I navigate this space? There's no one else doing it. So again, it's so important to sort of find community or to create one because it's really scary to not have that support system, to not have a big brother or sister in the industry going like, oh, hey, here's how you do it. You know what I mean? I feel like it's also very lonely because you're you're paving the way and you're trying to get past this imposter syndrome. Like I've definitely had moments where it's like, oh my God, I feel like I'm the only Bangladeshi artist that's going through this. Like I can't ask anyone for help because they haven't gone through Like, you know, an Indian experience and another like Pakistani experience is completely different from mine. So like, yeah, there might be South Asian people in New York and other places, but it's like our experience is also unique and it's hard to find people with that same background and finding that community so I feel like you know it's hard to sometimes find people to like lean on so like what would you say to people that are trying to find that community and try to find people that are like-minded you know and they feel like they can't progress and do more with what they want to do because they don't have anyone to look up to um I don't know that's it sometimes it's really hard and it's just like you said more it's really lonely honestly but mm-hmm. if the internet helps like uh there are yeah. sort of I found uh, filmmaking and screenwriting forums online on Reddit, um, like different groups on Facebook, where I just started writing about my experiences. And then you kind of meet people from completely different backgrounds, completely different stories. They're not Bangladeshi, but they've had maybe some similar journey. So 
I think, you know, uh, using social media to your advantage and reaching out and seeing if anyone sort of uh, replies back and seeing if you can find a community there. That's been like a good support system. Um, I'm also really curious about you guys and what what your experience has been as Bangladeshis uh, living in America, because I feel that it could be, I'm sure there are a lot of ways that you get support being in that space, but I'm sure that it could also be alienating in completely unique ways as well. So what's it been like, the journey now you finally have your, like this exhibition going on? What's that journey been like and what are the kind of hurdles that you guys face? Um, I mean, I think I'm lucky because I grew up in New York and, you know, New York is such a big melting pot, has so many different cultures. So I was very lucky because when I first grew up in Queens, there was a lot of Bangladeshi people and there was a lot of community around me. So I feel like I had, you know, like my parents, they had like Bangladeshi people to uh, talk to. We went to like Dawits and stuff. And then once I got older and older, we moved more to like a a white dominated area so I kind of lost that culture and I lost my you know my roots and everything so it definitely took me a little bit to get in touch with that again once I went away for college in Manhattan um, and it's been a lot better I think I found you know my artist crowd and in, in the South Asian community but again I think because we've been used to like the Indian Pakistani like I wouldn't say more dominant but I guess um, the people that are in these cultures and they were I guess more encouraged and they had more of a spotlight to pursue the, pursue the arts I was used to them more so I think now my mission is kind of to bring representation to like the Bangladeshi people you know because you know there have definitely been events where I know I had like I would have been great for it I know that um, my art or like my skills would have been great greatly showcased for it but it was very much entirely like Indian people you know and it's sometimes frustrating because when like the outside population look at us they just see us as Indian or they just see us as like the certain demographic and you know sometimes it feels like you have to really like put your best foot forward to like bring some sort of representation to make some sort of dent to bring that representation um but I'm trying my best and um yeah, I think it's it's been a lot better for Bangladeshi people, especially in New York. They are getting some sort of representation, but it feels like you still kind of have to fight for it. You know, we're we're not like the first thought that crosses people's minds. I think for me, it was I had a pretty different experience from Mel. I didn't grow up with a lot of Bengali people in Orlando. It's a big community, but I just wasn't connected because my family isn't very like going to Dawats meeting people like they were always pretty reserved and to themselves and even within the Bengali community there was nobody that was even into the arts or into anything like film wise music wise writing wise painting and anything um so I was always kind of seen as like the odd one out of of any group that I was in growing up in my teen years I was always you know in poetry club or I was always just doodling in class and not paying attention in class and that's kind of like what has made me formative to what I've kind of become now. Um, when when COVID came around, um, that was really the time when I started celebrating my Bengali culture a lot more. I was, you know, I resented that side of me for pretty much my whole life. I ran around saying I was like Guyanese every day because um, one, nobody knew what Bangladesh was. Two, I didn't have somebody to celebrate Bangladesh with me. Um and so it was just like something that I resented for a really long time. But it was honestly meeting Mo and seeing how representative she was with her artwork that motivated me to, you know, label myself as Bangladeshi moving forward. Like I started making TikToks for fun around COVID and Mo was really the one that persuaded me to put like hashtag Bengali, for example. You, I never even like like thought about that because I was like, I don't want to be like, there's no point. But um, I kept doing it and I met. Like you said, like on social media, I met so many amazing like Bengali, Indian, Pakistan, whatever, just brown skinned people in general all across the world, um, including Mo. And, you know, through that, I've met so many amazing people that celebrate their Bangladeshi culture. And that really influenced a lot of my writing to where when I had first started writing my, my poetry book, um, it was in hopes of like donating all of the money to like charities and organizations in Bangladesh because it was never really about the money for me I just wanted um, something physical to showcase to people that I am a talented writer and then eventually like 
throughout social media and and gaining supporters and and meeting people who who you know pushed me to write the book it became something bigger and you know i really interlaced a lot of my bangladeshi and muslim culture into that book and it's kind of acted as this beacon for a lot of like boys in like specifically that that look like me that have had an upbringing like me and you know from what i hear um it's helped a, uh, it's helped out a lot of people that um you know come from a similar background as i do so that's kind of what it's been like for me i and you know i i nowadays i spend a lot of time thinking about what it is actually like growing up in bangladesh you know cuz i've been meeting people here and there that that come from that world and i can't imagine like it's it's a very broad statement but it is really something that i do think about a lot and i i envy the fact that i've waited so long to represent this bangladeshi side of myself cuz if i started early i would have been much farther but you know i i don't know i i just i really look up to people like you who are able to do so much with quote unquote so little coming from a world like that with so many people like that But you know, I think it's interesting what you said Nuhash how you said that um you use your identity to as like a weapon now like you use it to um like as a superpower. And I think a lot of us grew up with all of these stereotypes and all of these movies that made us look so bad and it made us feel insecure and weak because you know, we were portrayed as poor or we portray- portrayed as just like something like completely outside of this like you know, we didn't feel like we were inside this world. and i think a lot of people grow up with those stereotypes and they let that stop them from pursuing what they want to do or just you know living a good life and i think what all of us have done is use our identity as like a superpower and use it to um not only bring representation but use it to like showcase ourselves and show that we are will we are worth um people like watching us you know we are worth like success we are worth anything because we're not going to let all of these stereotypes bring us down anymore and we're in fact going to show you how much we can do you know so i really like they're using um we're kind of using like our anger and we're using it to like like fuel ourselves and we're using it to bring more representation and bring like a positive representation you know i think we're kind of just over the phase of seeing all these horrible films about us and you know being acknowledged as just like a low income like country and like yeah. just weak people and i know? i really like how you said that you used like things like like emotions like rage um while creating mushri and how things like that were were presented in that film because once you said that it it clicked in my head yeah you know i think it's a lot of like look you know i've been in that space as well as well where when i was starting out with filmmaking i was like okay how do i make this look bidishi how do i make this look foreign you know how do i get my colors and yeah. my sound and my performances to look like films i've grown up watching and then i realized i can't achieve that i can't pull that off what well, what i can pull off in my budget and in my resources is to kind of go authentic to kind of connect to my roots and make something that hasn't been done before that's uh, unique to my identity and i think you know we're all you know we all have this rage in us we all we're all confused and if we can tap into that cuz you know it's like there's also that fear right like oh i don't want to be known just because i'm bangladeshi right you want to tap into your identity mm-hmm. but you also don't want that to be your only thing you don't want to be oh he's the bangladeshi filmmaker and that's like the only thing about your oh she's a bangladeshi artist she's the bangladeshi writer you don't want that to be the yeah. only defining thing so it's like oh yeah i want to tap into that i want to tap into that i'm a muslim but also i want my art to be its own thing because there's so many other layers to who we are than where we come from right so but like i think even in just embracing the the sense of the utter sense of confusion we all have with who we are because i think it's a generational thing right that we're like are we bangladeshi are we sort of global citizens are we this are we that but tapping into that confusion in our art and being sort of open about that being vulnerable about that in whatever we do the moment you start doing that you connect to a lot more people because everyone out there is really freaking confused like it doesn't matter where they're from whether they're bangladeshi or they're sort of mexican american like writer that i've met so they're all kind of confused about who they are and that's like a millennial thing it's a gen z thing it's going on around all over the world everyone's feeling it since covid so if you can tap into that stuff 
and be open about it, it just opens up a whole new world. And yeah, you know, that's kind of been my sort of learning curve, which is, hey, I don't have to be afraid of my identity. I can I can tap into that. And that can be like a whole new sort of um, layer of storytelling. And I don't also have to be afraid of sort of that being my only brand, Bangladeshi. Because, you know, honestly, if you think about it, in the grand scheme of stereotypes, as Bangladeshis, we don't have it like that bad. Like if you if you think about sort of every culture and every stereotype that's attached to things, I kind of find it weirdly freeing that nobody even knows what Bangladesh is sometimes. And I go into a meeting and they're like, is that in India? What is that? And I'm like, well, you've never seen a Bangladeshi film or a Bangladeshi poem or a Bangladeshi piece of art? Great, I'll show it to you. I can be the first and I can be different and I can sort of give you a fresh perspective. And I kind of like that idea that people have this kind of no sense of sort of preconceived notion. So boom, here it is. I can be the first yeah. and you can really be like this um, game changer, tastemaker, whatever you want to work you want to use. So I think like if you kind of shift the narrative in your own head and not see it as a negative and be like, okay, I get to be the first. I get to sort of um, be the first and make an impression and make it easier for the next guy. Um, I think that could be a helpful way to look at the world. I think it's something else that you said that was really interesting is that like how much people of color have to struggle with like you talked about imposter syndrome and you talked about it's hard to like balance being too Bangladeshi and but like not being Bangladeshi enough and it's hard to you know there's just so many things that we have to be wary of because we want to oh yeah you also said something about like if you want to make the film be this be, be this she and it's like a lot of us also have to worry about you know whitewashing ourselves maybe if we look a certain way maybe we'll be more likable and it's just so interesting that you know, Bangladeshi isn't just people in color, people of color. We have to worry about so many things like that to be more like attractive and like be successful. And it, you know, it's more than just like the film, but it's like in the workspace or like in America and it like goes beyond anything. So. Yeah, I think in a way you guys have it harder because um, there is so much like every time I've been connecting to so many um, South Asian artists in the diaspora ever since Moshari came out and the news came out. Um, there's been a lot of exchange. And I think like it's almost easier just being in Bangladesh where if I'm making a short film, a lot of people, a lot of people said, Oh my God, I love the casting for Moshari and I love how it's everyone's South Asian. I'm like, well, I had no choice, man. This, this is what everyone around me looks like. And I kind of mm-hmm. did it. I didn't, I wasn't really thinking about diversity or inclusion. Yeah, yeah. I just kind of made a movie and all my friends are brown and we just kind of made it and then it kind of worked, right? So, but I think it's almost uh, harder um, when you're in this very sort of multicultural like world where you're in America and you have, have to think about all these layers every single day and every mm-hmm. single choice you make artistically or in work or just in your everyday lives deals with that like kind of that identity crisis and who you are so i'm sure that that's a whole other there's a specificity in that that only you can tap into and i can't tap into sitting here from bangladesh but still that experience that you guys are having is just as bangladeshi and somebody needs to tell that story you know what i mean yeah um i have a question for you just out of my own curiosity um how would you define like bangladeshi culture when somebody is like trying to compare it to like bollywood or or whatever is you know big in india or pakistan like how do you how do you describe bengali film how do you describe bengali art um when when people ask you for the difference okay so um i think here's a good way to think about it like when hollywood was really blowing up um early 90s or 80s or whatever and it became such a powerhouse uh, of cinema that kind of an anti-Hollywood movement started in Europe. And you kind of had French New Wave cinema and you kind of had all these kind of different kinds of movies in Europe and in France that were like, oh, we're not going to make the typical formulaic sequels in the Hollywood movies. We're going to make things different. We're going to tell personal, weird, sexual, dark stories that um feel different from american cinema from hollywood cinema and that created a whole new movement which eventually became so powerful that it impacted hollywood in itself it impacted like um like sort of that became a part of hollywood culture as well so i I feel like it's kind of like that there's like this brother sister relationship where bollywood is so huge and um everyone kind of knows bollywood everyone knows about the dance sequences and this and that and shahrukh khan and blah 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 so growing up next to that as a small country next to india um it's like 
we kind of have to make something really different to stand out. We can't just do Bollywood. And I think that's how Bangladeshi cinema is different. Like whatever you see, we had a really great movie come out last year called Rehana Mariam Nur. It was the first Bangladeshi movie at Cannes, uh, the Cannes Film Festival. So yeah, like whatever is happening in Bangladeshi cinema, we're not doing it a lot. It's obviously not the volume of Bollywood, but it's not formulaic. It's not kind of, it's not following the same kind of equation. It's different, it's weird, it's personal, it's genre bending. And I think that's what's coming out of not just a Bangladeshi cinema, but also Pakistani cinema to an extent right next to Bollywood. So in a way, it's kind of like a counter, it's kind of like a counter statement, like a counterculture to Bollywood. And Bollywood is known for, uh, you know, you have the Nepotism and you have the dances and it's all loud. It's all very kind of musical. So even South Indian cinema, Bangladeshi cinema, Pakistani cinema, all are kind of having their own weird responses. And it's making, it's helping our art and our culture be sort of weirder. Um, and more personal, if that makes sense. And I think a big part of being uh, Bangladeshi as well is all this, all this, just like the trauma and stuff we've gone through. Because if you think about how young Bangladesh is, right? Like you have the partition, and then you know you have you split with like Pakistan, and you have that war. There's just so much stuff that's constantly happening. So it's also we're just like really new. We're like this new country, and we don't have our shit figured out yet. And I think that's also part of the conversation. We're like, look, guys, we're just. We're just we we just got started, but you know we're doing pretty good in terms of how our economy is growing, in terms of how uh, women empowerment has grown a lot in Bangladesh compared to like even ten years ago. Like the biggest NGO in the world is from Bangladesh, like Brag. So there's a lot of cool stuff happening. So we're really we're we're a toddler as a, a nation or a culture or whatever, but we're really trying to you know uh, keep up with the big boys. So that's kind of my my take on it. Yeah. I get so mad when people are like, oh, yeah, like Bangladesh is such a like low income, like poor people, all this and that. But we yeah, we really are like one of the booming economies. And I think literally within the last five, three to five years of when people are first even hearing the word Bangladesh. I remember high school people like pretty sure I still meet people today that literally don't even know the country exists, which is so crazy because well, like the fifth most populous country in the world or something like something like that. You know, it's 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 really up to people that look like us to to really change how people think about the country. <laughs> and at the end of the day, you know, I think like all we can do sometimes is just not overthink it and just make cool stuff, you know? Yeah. Make cool art. It doesn't always have to be about our culture. Just make whatever. And if people like it, people connect to it, they're going to remember, oh, hey, somebody Bangladeshi made that. And that's going to stay in their mind. And then the first thing they think about Bangladesh isn't going to be whatever stereotype they've heard or they've seen around or some narrative that's been perpetuated. It's going to be what they've seen of our work. So, you know, whoever's listening, you don't have to kind of always be thinking about the cultural impact of you being bound. Just like do your thing and live your life and make cool things and never stop creating stuff. And I think that's yeah. that's Yeah, the that's that's so true because I think everyone has like their own stereotypes and biases and it takes a really long time to unlearn that. So like just do your part to, you know, do your best to make people unlearn that and think of something else when they associate that culture with something, you know? Um, I have one final question for for you um so pretend like someone that's trying to get into film and they're like five years old they know nothing they don't know any of the terms they don't know how to get into it what would you like what's your dumbed down like step-by-step process of like making a film and like getting into film okay for a little five-year-old yeah okay um (laughs) oh that's tough um so i don't know if this i don't know if this works for a five-year-old but when I was a lot younger, I met this really great award-winning producer from Bangladesh. Um, and I asked her, like, I want to be a filmmaker. How do I become a filmmaker? What are the steps? And she told me it's two steps, two steps. It's pretty simple. The first is you convince someone to give you some money to tell a story. And the second is you use that money to surround yourself with people who are better than you. If you don't think you're a visual thinker and you don't understand shots, visuals, whatever, get a friend, find someone who does it better than you. If you don't think you can write the best dialogue in the world, find someone who does it better than you. Surround yourself with people better than you and then make choices, make decisions together. 
right? Like someone's going to be like, oh, it could look like this and crispy and visual and like colorful, or it can be dark and morbid. And you just go, I don't know, I feel like this would work better than that. So it's all yeses and nos. It's like ones or twos or threes. And you make little decisions with all these people. And eventually, you know, you're you're telling a story together. And I always keep this in mind because sometimes the first step is really important. Sometimes it's like finding sponsors, convincing a friend who has a swimming pool, like, hey, man, can I film at your like place for a couple of hours? It's only going to be two hours, but it's actually going to be five hours. But you don't say that. You say you say two hours and then you get there and you get the shots. So both those steps are important. One is convincing people um, to work with you or convincing people to fund you or convincing people that you have an important story to tell. And that goes into it can be pitching. It can be. Um, anything where you have to kind of be a little bit of a showman and kind of just show up and, you know, give someone a grand sense of idea. And I'm a huge introvert. You know, I was never good at that stuff. Like I was never good at sort of going up to someone and being like, hey, here's my big idea. But I feel like I love stories so much that I learned to do, to do that. Like I kind of um, trained myself or, you know, I would call up my best friend or my girlfriend or whatever and kind of practice how to pitch or how to tell a story. And I kind of tried to develop my skills just as someone who can sit you down and tell you a story and convince you that this is something worth making. And then I started to find community, you know, to find um, cinematographers were better than me to find like sound people who can like create like a cool um, soundscape for a short film and this and that and like slowly found more and more people maybe they're not the best in the world but they're good enough and they're young and they're excited to experiment and do new things so by doing those two things together um, you kind of end up having a great team and you can um, make something uh, different and new and I think like um, I don't know, I was just at this talk recently and something I say a lot, which is like, you know, you guys were just saying this. We live in this culture of like, oh, you have to make something now. You have to be viral. You have to sort of post something today. And that idea of how do we stay relevant and how do we constantly sort of create things every single day. But the weird thing about filmmaking is it takes time, right? Like if I'm coming up with an idea for a short film, even if it's really cheap, low budget, whatever, I'm just making it with my friends, it's still going to at least take one week or one month or maybe three months or for me, like maybe a year or two to finish that thing. So don't focus so much on what's relevant, what's trending today, because if you focus on that, in a couple of months, it's not going to be trending anymore and your short film will feel very, very dated. Your work will be like, okay, cringe, that reference just doesn't work anymore, right? But if you can tap into your soul and make it about something that matters to you, something that always mattered to you, then no matter when it's released, no matter if there's a pandemic or storm, whatever's happening in the world, weirdly, it's still going to be relevant when it comes out and it's still going to touch people to their core because you made it about you and you weren't just kind of trying, trying to follow a trend. I hope that makes sense. I don't know if that makes sense for a five-year-old, but... <laughs> <laughs> the no, five-year-old is trying his best to understand no i i think i think that's amazing i think you're very powerful with your words um you know throughout this whole podcast i've been listening very closely and and i feel very mushroom's the five-year-old so right i'm now. the five-year-old right now <laughs> i with my non-irrigated ears i'm listening to everything you're saying i have uh some silly questions to wrap this thing off with so we so we don't end on such a serious high horse um what what's your what's your favorite bangladeshi dish what's your favorite thing to eat my favorite bangladeshi dish it's um fuchka with yeah uh, there we go fuchka with naga morich i don't know if you've had that naga morich is like ghost pepper i don't i don't know yeah isn't that like the hottest morich? it's very very hot oh yeah. you're crazy you're a crazy uh, boy and it, it goes yeah. really well together and the thing about naga morich is um it's like I know I've had a lot of like American spicy sauces that just feel like they're not flavors. It's just poison. It's just chemicals. Mm. But naga morich, mm -hmm. that ghost pepper, it has kind of a fruitiness to it. Like where it's, it's like it will kill you, but in a beautiful <laughs> citrusy way. Elegant way. You'll, you'll yeah. die right. happy. Day. Right. Elegant. Yeah. Yeah. When you come to New York, you gotta try the the Jackson Heights fuchka here. Oh, yeah, awesome. That's the thing. That's the thing we're, over there. We're known for a little Bangladesh fuchka. Our tongue. Yeah, it's the only reason our, I go. Our um, premium sweet samosas yeah, and everything. Yeah, I'll try that. 
Um, yeah. I, I love your film. And I <laughs> want to get more into films like that from people that look like you. Can you give me like two mm-hmm. or three good films or things to just start off with to get like let me into the the gates of of that world because i love it and i really want to get more into it yeah sure um okay so i can start off with some of my work you can watch mortuary on vimeo and on youtube um to search mm-hmm. for it. it's all out on free we made this other short recently called foreigners only and that's out on hulu it's actually the first bangladeshi content oh, on hulu. that's ever been um produced by an american streaming platform so it's called Foreigners Only. Ah, okay. That's crazy. Find that in a series ah. called Bite Size Halloween. And it's in season three. And it's an episode called Foreigners Only. You can check that out. And um, there is a Bangladeshi film that came out last year called Rehana Mariam Noor. Um, I think it's just called Rehana in the US. So I don't know where that's streaming, but you can look for it. It is a really okay. great psychological thriller. And um, I think people might really enjoy that as well. Amazing. Mo, you got you got anything else? I'm trying to think if there's like a banger question that we can end off with, like a little, (laughs) a lightning round. Um, Um, think. Who's your who's your who's your favorite artist, like music wise? Give me like an an American one and like a a a Bangladeshi one. Okay, so uh, American one. I'm a huge fan of Tool. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with them. They're a Tool. They're a progressive rock band. They have a lot of Mm. weird time signatures. Um, so Tool and Radiohead, those were like two my two favorites growing up. And uh, Bangladeshi, uh, there's an artist called Damir, uh, Damir Khan. Um, he's he's amazing. He he does these really cool indie pop music, and he did the soundtrack for Moshari. Um, so he's very very versatile. And it's so funny because I was sitting in uh, somewhere at a Starbucks in Texas, and I was editing Moshari and. Um, I was hearing his like horror music and I took off my earphones and one of his songs was playing at that spot of, at that like playlist at that Starbucks. That's crazy. I it was so funny wow. that he was playing in like Texas and also he's this Where like he musician. So he's, he's awesome. <laughs> you should definitely check him out. That's crazy. Oh, that's amazing. I like that. So is he like international? Yeah, he's, he's like, um, he was on uh, Majestic Casual. I think that's the label. So yeah, he's, he's pretty mm. big. Mm. Nice, awesome. Is there any rap music? Any any Twenty One Savage, like Lil Baby or anything? Any, like fun, like rap music. You're asking him if he listens to rap. You <laughs> <laughs> can't Drake. I I don't I don't mind I don't mind rap. I listen it's to like, cup of tea. But yeah, it's not like it's not the first thing I'll I'll, I'll you know. Like, got it. Like I actually really like. He's, he's a rock. Yeah. Fan. Got it. We got we got switched that up. I feel like I'm full from all this information. Literally, like, I didn't I'm have like, breakfast today, I'm, but just, now I'm, I'm processing like full. everything you said. No, I think I, this is just like my meal. I think uh, I think closing thoughts. Um, thank you so much for for joining us today. Um, I feel really affected with a lot of what you said. Um, I'm gonna be thinking about this conversation for the rest of my day. Um, I've I think I've I think I've been waiting to hear a lot of the things that you said today in regards to like, you know not being afraid to be the first one to open the door. Um, I think a lot of people are scared, are just like waiting on the other side, waiting for somebody to open it up, waiting for somebody to be like, oh, you're the Bangladeshi filmmaker, writer that made this and did that. Oh, come in. But like a lot of time, that's not really how it works. A lot of the time you, you have to be the one to reach out to people. You have to be the one to put in a lot of the work and have like the dedication, the notoriety to to go through that door yourself um so thank you from me a lot for for a lot of the things that you said yeah we're excited no honestly thank you for me too just because like i don't know i think finding community especially in like the bangladeshi crowd is hard in america and you know hearing stories like this and meeting people like you is very um reaffirming because it makes you feel like you're not alone and also other people can relate to you and that you can lean on other people for help if you need it. So I'm like very grateful that I have, you know, met you and learned your story. And it's also you can see like the passion is like exuding out of you. So it's it's really beautiful to see that your culture is is such a big influence for you, you know. 
I love how like you guys tried to end this on a lighter note by being like, "Oh, what's your favorite food?" And then we all went super intense again. <laughs> we so, couldn't. We, I, I had to let that out. We had to. We <laughs> had to. Just highs and lows. I I just love that. No, uh, this has been so wonderful, and I'm so glad you guys reached out. And I think that's exactly what we we should do, like form a community. And I'm so excited about your art and the art you you guys are creating. Um, we're living in a very exciting time where I think um there is a little more acceptance and you can kind of like break those doors down using your identity and using all of that as a weapon, or you can create something that's escapist and fun and random and just help someone in a completely different way. Um, but it still has this kind of cultural footprint, even if you don't want it to, because that's in your soul, right? So you can sort of, it's in your blood. You can really take it out of your work. And um, um, I'm so glad that, um, there are creators like you, there are podcasts like this, that's kind of uh, moving the conversations forward in one way or the other. So yeah, uh, wish me luck. And I'm so excited about what you Of course. All right. We end our episodes with like our 10 second advice. Yeah. Mashun, this- is your advice like to get your ears cleaned? Listen. Get your, get your ears irrigated listen, from time I've to been, time? I dropped a lot of gems this episode and that's probably the most important one. Um, the first time I got my ears <laughs> irrigated, it, it was life changing. I, I didn't, I didn't think, I didn't know like hearing could be that powerful. I didn't know I can hear, <laughs> I can hear a freaking grasshopper fly. I can hear anything. And then the second time it was like another revelation again. So I'm very excited to go, you know, <laughs> to urgent care and to <laughs> get my ears irrigated. That's my advice. Try it out. If you, you know, have some trouble hearing, don't know what's going on, um, go to your local urgent care. If you got insurance, um, it's really not that much. You'll be good. It takes like five. It doesn't even hurt. It's not painful. There's no, there's no like downside to this. There's no con. Yeah, you look funny. Yeah, people are gonna make fun of you, but you can hear better, and that's all that matters. Okay, get your ears irrigated. That was horrible. That was the that worst. Was, advice that was I've probably ever was episode like seventy one. That's the best advice ever again. You got anything? It's not gonna be better than mine. <laughs> no, I, it can't be better than that one. I actually had a serious one, but after that, I don't think I can say it anymore. Go ahead. You could share. No, mine was just like, after what Nuhash said, mine was just like, use, weaponize your identity because we've had it, we've had it, use it against us for a while now. There you go. I like that. I like how that was said. Yeah. Nuhash, you got any, I mean, Nuhash gave y'all enough advice. But yeah, <laughs> y'all have been writing any, enough anything notes. small, any 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 uh, short phrase, any like quotes that you live by, anything. I will also say, get your ears irrigated, but <laughs> yeah, tell people about it because they're gonna they're gonna judge you. So maybe yeah, yeah don't tell. And people then the about lines it. are gonna get long. Yeah, and it'll it'll take too long. <laughs> you know, yes. then you can you can't get it done. For Yo, Nuhash on my y'all side. Y'all are making this into a trend. <laughs> A trend. People are gonna. There's gonna be long lines outside the hospital because they're trying to get the ear flush. Yeah, tell me, like tell irrigation. me. Like irrigation, A R I. Yeah, we should talk. Irrigation. irrigation. Yeah, we should change the name wow. of our podcast. To irrigation. That's horrible. <laughs> okay. No, let's not do that. All right, Nuhash, thank you so much for joining. Really, um, this was very enlightening. Um, I really enjoyed this conversation, and um. Yeah, man. Thank, thank you. Our, thank you so much. Our parents, our parents are fangirling <laughs> after hearing this. Thanks, yeah, man. you, you oh, want, to, you want to say a quick hi, to, hi to my mom, just so oh, when she listens, she'll like, just a quick hi, auntie. Hi, auntie. Give a little shout out. Hi, auntie. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's all it takes. Thank you so much for coming on, and like, also, guys, like, he's on BD time, so right now it's like almost yeah, yo, there. Thank you so and, much. Like, uh, yeah, like this is commitment. Um, like we said, everyone, um, his film is Moshri. You can find it on both YouTube and Vimeo. We'll put links to literally everything, um, all of his social yeah. media in the podcast bleh, podcast description. Yeah. Um, check yeah. all that out. Um, please keep track of what this man is doing because he's doing bigger things than any 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 of us can imagine, and we're really excited to uh, to follow along. So Nuhash, thank you so much, and um, yeah. Thanks, guys. Bye. Yeah. Cool. Kalafas. See ya.